While some prefer their cozy, warm drinks, nights by the fire, and sweet romance movies on television, others of us enjoy a deep dive into folklore. We want to know what is hiding in the shadows of the holiday season. We want to know the secrets. We're about to venture outside the traditional box of Christmas, wrapped in lovely paper with bright big bows. For the next few minutes, we'll be throwing out all the pretty lights and decor. This is the nightmare of Christmas. Warning, there will be devils. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. You're not worth the two guineas I paid for you, Charles called up the chimney. I bet you won't say that when you're selling this bushel of soot at the market, young Robert told him, his words echoing down the narrow flue. The boy prodded the brush until the black stuff gave way and imploded on him. The coal tar seeped in his lips, filling his mouth with the familiar taste of metallic chalk. He squirmed one shoulder and then the next, repeatedly making his way down. A sharp rock protruding from the chimney sliced his shirt and arm. That bloody hurt, he whispered to himself. Robert stood wide-eyed in front of Charles when he made it to the hearth. Instinctively, he began to shake off the black dust. Not in here, you blithering idiot. You'll dirty up the rug. Charles led Robert outside and instructed him to wait there until he returned. A glimmer of something shiny caught Robert's eye from the second floor window. An expert climber, he shimmied up the drain pipe and carefully placed his ragged boots on the uneven stone sill. He pressed his face to the glass and stared at the object of his curiosity, a round, shiny pocket watch sitting on the desk. He turned the window latch and slid into the room with ease. The single bed and blue quilt probably belonged to the snobby boy who chided him for sitting on the furniture earlier that afternoon. Robert wrapped his black fingers around the silver object and smiled. No one having this much would miss a pocket watch. After placing it in his pocket for safekeeping, he slid out of the window and stood there whistling until Charles came out with the soot bag and pounds of payment in his palm, almost smiling. Almost. You'll never make master sweep at the rate you move, Charles scolded Robert as soon as their eyes met. Who says I want to be master sweep? The boy said under his breath. What'd you say? I said... He puffed out his chest and raised his voice. I will never be a master sweep as long as I live. Whenever my body is too big to fit into those hellish wormholes and I'm grown, I'll never touch a one of them again. The young boy wiped his nose with a dust-covered sleeve then coughed. In fact, he added, a little less sure of himself, I'll own one of these. He pointed to the row houses that lined the road. You'll dive sootwort first. Charles grabbed his frail arm and tugged him down the street toward the workhouse. Nasty wound there, Madame Marie said, noting the blood peeking through Robert's torn blouse. 
It's nothing a little rum can't fix, Robert smiled, knowing full well the saintly woman wouldn't dare give him a drop of alcohol. The boy climbed into his bed, dirt, boots, and all. He curled himself into a ball and shivered. Madame Marie, the only person in the spike to have maintained an ounce of humanity, returned a few moments later with a clean cloth and a blanket. She cleaned the wound. Robert winced at the pain but didn't say a word. Stay warm, she told him, tucking the ragged quilt around his body tightly. Robert had almost drifted off to sleep when he heard the boys a few bunks down whispering. He looked around to see if any adults were present. Lights out was at eight o'clock sharp. But Robert and the others tended to see rules as elastic bands. They can be stretched really far before they're broken. Still wrapped in the blanket, Robert joined the huddle. What say you? You in for a little thievery? One asked Robert. What's in it for me? Robert asked suspiciously. We each get a cut of the profits, the boy explained. And how will we hide the loot? I already thought of that, another boy answered. There's always been a loose paver in the garden out back. Last night, I dug a hole and covered it back up. It'll be perfect, so long as no one opens their big mouth. And what if we get caught? Robert asked. The boy shrugged almost simultaneously. Wrong answer. We won't, Robert smirked. An hour later, the boys were slipping into the Carnegie's home, which they regularly swept. The worrisome wife had a constant fear of fires. She believed that keeping the chimney swept monthly would prevent this fear from becoming a reality, all while maintaining optimal air quality for she and her guests. No matter that the little sweeps would ingest more coal dust in one cleaning than the amount of dirt the maid swept under the rug each month, Robert knew, as did the others, that the Carnegies traveled to the country every December to visit their family, which left their pristine, impeccably decorated home vulnerable to the nightly terrors that roamed the streets. One of the boys wiggled a pin in the back doorknob until a slight click could be heard. The herd snickered. Shh, Robert whispered, fully aware of the danger they would meet should they be caught. The boys clumsily made their way through the house, knocking over a rather expensive vase within seconds of entering. Annoyed and determined, Robert hushed them all. Keep your eyes on the prize, he said, pointing to the carefully wrapped gifts under the tree. Quiet laughter erupted and bounced through the dark, still house. The freshly cut tree's aroma filled Robert's nose as he handled a glass ball, the clash of delicate and beautiful juxtaposed the black soot under his nails. He clearly didn't belong there. While the others tore through the gifts and stuffed their pockets with everything they thought had any value, Robert purposely dropped the glass ball to the floor. The noise caught the others off guard at first, but the scavengers went on doing what they did best. Robert's mouth curled wickedly at the edges. He had an idea one that would make sure the Carnegie's Christmas looked a lot like his own. He began smashing every glass ornament on the flawless marble floor. Within minutes, Robert had ripped through the house, destroying any proof of Christmas. Every candle holder, glass ball, and stocking littered the floor. The tiny sparkling fragments of the Carnegie's Christmas made Robert smile. 
No one deserves to have an extravagant Christmas when we paupers don't even have a decent meal. The others stared in awe of the devastation. I thought we were going to take some things, not steal their Christmas. Timmy, the only one of them with a remaining conscience, whispered to himself. Robert snagged a pillow from the master's bedroom and ripped it from its case. Here, he told the others. Place the valuables in the sack. We can't very well walk the streets with everything in our pockets, can we? They'll spot us as thieves for sure. Skeptically, the others did what he said. Six boys on the street after midnight looked suspicious already without having overflowing pockets. One with a sack would be odd enough. Now, get the pantry, Robert told them, always the one to take the lead. Food was possibly the most valuable thing a climbing boy could steal. They were kept malnourished to keep them small and capable of scurrying into the black holes that darkened their lungs as well as their hearts. Once they filled the bag to the brim, they snuck ever so quietly out the door and down the quiet, dark street. What are you lads doing out so late? A man called to them when they were steps from the workhouse. Um, we're just... Timmy rambled. Yeah, we had to... Another added. Robert stepped in front of them, holding the sack tight in his gritty hands. We had a late night job. Master Sweep had us going around gathering the spent coal in the neighborhood. This stuff is going high at the market. And what's one man's trash is another man's bread, you know? Robert said, which the man thought seemed strangely confident for such a small, unwanted child. Silence filled the space between the mob of misfits and the concerned citizen. I suppose that's the truth, the man finally said, and they all sighed in unison. Good morrow to you, Robert nodded and pulled at his hat as he led the others to the workhouse. That was sly dealings there, one said and patted his back as someone would a good dog. All of you get on to bed. I'll hide the loot, Robert told them. After watching them all sneak into the open dormitory, Robert sat outside in the cold and stared into the night sky. He wondered what his mother would say if she knew what he planned to do. Would she chastise him? Or had he inherited his nature from her? If so, she'd likely be leading these scams too. Having never known his parents had left Robert with lots of imaginary versions of them, which he often thought about in times like these. He shrugged. Robert didn't hide the sack beneath the cobblestone paver as they discussed earlier. Once enough time passed and the others were asleep, he snuck inside. He packed everything he owned into the same pillowcase, a notebook, a tattered copy of Oliver Twist, and a spare pair of socks. He took one last look at the sleeping children, who had been the only family he'd ever known, and walked to the street. He wiped away a tear that trickled down his cheek. And what do we have here, Big Red? Robert heard from behind him. His heart began to pound. Something about that voice gave him chills. It appears to be a very naughty boy. Another softer, warmer voice answered. I swear I didn't, Robert started to say, but when he turned to face the gentleman and the fiend face to face, he lost his words. And your name is? The old man dressed in red asked. R -R Robert? He could hardly speak. Well, 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 little Robbie, the creature chided. You're doing my job, and I don't like other people doing my job. Robert's knees knocked together when this one spoke. Its eyes were like a cat's, 
reflectively green in the dark. It was half man, half beast, with hoofed feet and pointy teeth. Stop, stop now, you're scaring him, the elderly man said, laughing and scratching his belly as it shook. The terrifying devil inched closer to Robert. Do you know what happens when I'm not happy? Robert shook his head. Bad boys who steal, thieves, they go to a special place. The beast padded forward. They go with me, it said, while running its hairy fingers over one of its horns. Robert ran fast. He could hear the big man in red laughing a jolly laugh Robert already hated. The creature followed him, its hooves clip-clapping after him. Leave me alone. He suddenly tripped over a raised cobblestone and crashed into the ground, dropping the pillowcase and its contents on the road. The creature snickered. You can't run from me, it said while reaching for him. Robert frantically looked up, trying to find anything he could use as a weapon. Nothing. He tried to get up, but as soon as he forced himself to his feet, the beast flung a large red sack over the boy. The demon hoisted him over his shoulder with ease. Darkness swallowed Robert. Release me, he cried to no avail. It's clear that I won't be able to finish my work with you on my shoulder, it said to the boy. I must drop you off and then return. A thick, pungent smell reached Robert's nose as they stepped into the beast's lair. The thing placed him on the floor. The boy scurried out of the bag quickly and found the nearest door, shaking it violently. There's no use. No child has ever escaped their fate here, it snarled. Robert pressed his back to the wall and took a closer look at his surroundings and his captor. The walls were made of earth, cold and brown. He ran his fingers over the surface and scratched a line in the dirt. A cage, just large enough for a child, filled one corner of the room. Stories from the boy's short childhood flooded his mind. All the pieces fit together, and he knew exactly who brought him here. Krampus, he whispered. Ah, not that bright, I see, the thing said, while flopping down on a dusty chair. You're not real, he added. Don't you trust your eyes, boy? Everything you see is real. It's the unseen that people usually question. This isn't possible. Robert scratched his head, confused. He pinched his arm, then grunted in pain. They all do that. What a strange way to test if you're awake. Convinced now that he really was in the evil elf's lair, Robert had to devise a plan. No way would he trade his freedom for captivity in this rotting place. Krampus took out the loot that Robert and the boys had stolen one item at a time, inspecting it for value. You have good taste, it smiled. Robert remained silent but kept his eyes firmly on the creature. Children shouldn't be stealing Christmas from other children. That's... Well, that's evil. The creature's mouth edged upward in a villainous grin. Call it what you like, but it's called survival in my world. Survival, eh? They're not feeding you at the workhouse? It asked rhetorically, while taking a bite out of the baked bread loaf the boys had stolen from the Carnegie house. Robert's mouth salivated. He'd never had a whole loaf of bread to himself. That's mine! He shot towards... Krampus with an impossible speed. Whoa, boy, keep your wits about you. I'm not friendly with fiends like you. The creature's lips were still curled, revealing its sharp yellow teeth. Robert backed away, clinging to his growling stomach. 
Just as defeat swept through his whole being, he saw something on the floor, the empty sack. He quickly snagged it and whipped it over Krampus's head, just as the beast had done to him. The creature was staggeringly heavy, but adrenaline pumped through young Robert's veins. Nothing could keep him from that loaf of bread. He shoved the beast into the cage, turned the lock, and put the key into his coat pocket. Cramming the bread loaf into his mouth, he packed what he could fit into his pockets, some change, a lighter, a tobacco pipe, a glass paperweight, and a few candies that they'd stolen from the Carnegie home. You have no idea what you've done, Krampus spat. It looks as though I've won, the boy said, lifting his chin high in the air. Won? Surely you don't intend to keep me here. I've got a job to do. No one will miss you, the boy spat, growing more and more brave with every passing moment. Christmas can't go on without Krampus. What will happen to the bad kids? Robert fumbled through the keys until he found one that fit the door. Stepping outside, he realized he didn't know where he was or how to get back. His heart longed for London. With a bat of the eyes, he was there, standing beside the workhouse. Robert's mouth gaped, then he held the sparkling brass keys up to the moonlight. When you have Krampus's keys, you must also have his powers. An idea struck. Robert suddenly thought about all the homes he'd serviced over the past month, all the presents under the trees, and treats in the pantries. When his tiny heart couldn't hold in the anger anymore, he tore through the empty street on a mission to steal Christmas from everyone who reminded him he didn't have one. He went to the back of the workhouse where Charles, the master sweep, kept his pushcart. With a little maneuvering, he pulled it to the street and to the site of his second attack of the night. The Knightleys were upright, proper citizens. They'd always been nice to Robert, but that didn't matter now. He knew they kept a spare room window unlocked. He noticed the last time he cleaned their chimney. He snuck in, quiet as a mouse, and tackled the tree first. He tossed the presents out the window and took a blanket from the bed and silently crushed every shiny, breakable object that in any way reminded him of winter wishes and happy smiles. He wanted Christmas to die. After all, it had never been alive for him. He stripped the entire home of every speck of cheer. After leaving, he packed the loot into the pushcart and made his way to the next destination. He did this to seven homes, and on the last, he did something so despicable, he even surprised himself. Staring at the tall, noble fir, in the foyer of yet another lovely, warm home, Full of food and excess, Robert lit the edge of a branch with a silver lighter he stole from Krampus. Within seconds, flames licked up the drapes and blackened the ceiling above. Before he slipped out the window, he yelled, Fire! Once he was a safe distance away, he turned to watch the chaos ensue. The family ran out of the house screaming, calling out to their neighbors. Robert's black eyes and heart turned cold completely unmoved by the scene before him. He ravaged the entire street of homes, then paused to catch his breath. The sun would be up soon. A part of him wanted to watch their faces when they woke to the destruction. Maybe he could find a good seat for the show. He moved to stash his car and find a tall tree, but as soon as he turned around, he collided with a red belly. Now, 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 what do we have here? The deep voice rumbled in the boy's ears. Robert pulled away, giving the big man in the red suit a snarky side glance. 
Where's Krampus? What do you think? The boy snapped. And what's all this? St. Nicholas looked at the overstuffed pushcart and frowned. Is all this really necessary? Absolutely. How did destroying all those pretty homes make you feel? St. Nicholas asked, stroking his short white beard. It made me feel... The boy gulped, struggling to find the words. It made me feel... Even. Even, eh? The old man's shoulders slouched a little, as if he were tired. So this is fair, is it? It is, Robert said, chest puffed in confidence. I see. The man seemed to be thinking. He then walked to a nearby bench and motioned for the boy to join him. Robert sat reluctantly. Is it fair when you and the other boys at the workhouse don't get the opportunity to enjoy Christmas? The man asked. No, the boy said, barely above a whisper. Is it fair for these children and their families to have Christmas stolen from them? Doesn't everyone deserve Christmas? Silence hung like icicles between them while Robert processed the information. Always the skeptic, he couldn't help but turn the tables back on the old man. Where were you all this time? Robert crossed his arms angrily. Aren't you supposed to make sure good kids have Christmas? The old man laughed, which made the boy even more furious. Remember last Christmas? You all worked as usual, and at the end of the day you asked for something? Do you recall what you asked? Robert thought for a moment and then bit his lip. Snow. I asked for snow. A smile stretched across the old man's face. And? It snowed almost instantly, the boy said, feeling more defeated than ever. I'm not here to give presents. I'm here to spread Christmas joy. It's hard sometimes for little ones like you, but occasionally I have a breakthrough. St. Nicholas wrapped an arm around him. The man's rosy cheeks and sudden sincere embrace warmed Robert from the inside out. Robert watched as the man began to walk away. Santa? Yes? You'll be needing these. The boy placed Krampus' keys in the man's large hands. With one last smile, St. Nicholas disappeared. Rushing to beat the sunlight, Robert ran down the street, leaving presents randomly placed at the doorsteps of every home he ransacked. He had no way of knowing whose gifts belonged to whom, but what did that matter? At least they wouldn't be left without Christmas completely. Robert skidded to a panicky stop. How would he put out the fire he'd started? The family and a neighbor tossed as much water on the home as they could, but the fire still burned brightly. Snow! I want snow! Thick white magic began pouring from the sky. Glowing shingles sizzled, and gray smoke billowed up into the twilight. Every person watched in amazement as the white blanket covered the burning house with a thick layer of icy glitter. Within minutes, the family put out what was left of the fire. Robert left presents for them on their neighbor's doorstep with a note that read, The joy of Christmas is in the heart, not the home. Krampus and the True Horrific History of Young Chimney Sweeps in Victorian Times made for a story worth writing. The source of heating during the Victorian era was coal, which would produce buildup in the chimneys often, so they would need to be cleaned regularly. During that time, it wasn't uncommon for children to be sold by their parents. 
to Master Sweeps, who would use the child to maneuver up the small, cramped chimneys to clean out the soot. As the boys aged, they would become too big for the job and would need to find other work. Only, most people who had the job as children later developed life-threatening, or at the very least, crippling diseases and conditions that shortened their lives. It wasn't until the Chimney Sweepers and Chimney Regulation Act of 1840 that things began to change, requiring the age of the chimney sweeps to be 21 or older. The poem The Chimney Sweeper by William Blake describes it well. When my mother died I was very young, and my father sold me while yet my tongue could scarcely cry, weep, 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 weep. So your chimneys I sweep, and in soot I sleep. There's little Tom Dacry, who cried when his head, that curled like a lamb's back, was shaved, so I said, Hush, Tom, never mind it, for when your head's bare, you know that the soot cannot spoil your white hair. And so he was quiet, and that very night, as Tom was a-sleeping, he had such a sight, that thousands of sweepers, Dick, Joe, Ned, and Jack, were all of them locked up in coffins of black. And by came an angel who had a bright key, and he opened the coffins and set them all free. Then down a green plain, leaping, laughing, they run, and wash in a river and shine in the sun. Then naked and white, all their bags left behind, they rise upon clouds and sport in the wind. And the angel told Tom if he'd be a good boy, he'd have God for his father and never want joy. And so Tom awoke and rose in the dark and got with our bags and our brushes to work. Though the morning was cold, Tom was happy and warm. So if all do their duty, they need not fear harm. And oh, how the evils of winter got even worse for children when you include Krampus in the mix. Krampus is the anti-Saint Nicholas the polar opposite of the good that Santa encompasses, described as a demon-like figure that comes in the night for bad children. Krampus is the nightmare of Christmas. According to legend, Krampus travels with St. Nicholas. They are representations of the natural forces of good and evil, symbolism through all of folklore and time. Krampus's goal is to punish the bad children, while Santa's is to reward the good ones. The roots of the legend of Krampus go back to pre-Germanic paganism. Krampus is a half-goat, half-demon. He's been described as a beast with horns and claws. He has dark hair and fangs and has a long tongue. He's usually carrying a bundle of birch sticks so that he can beat naughty children with them. He also is sometimes described as wearing chains and bells which is symbolic of the Christian attempt to chain demons. On occasion, he will not only beat the children, he will kidnap them, placing them in his basket and bringing them down to his evil lair. On the opposite spectrum, we have St. Nicholas, or Santa. St. Nicholas is the patron saint of children in Catholicism. He comes in the beginning part of December. In history, he was a Christian bishop who helped the sick and needy and is the inspiration behind Santa Claus. Because of his generous nature, his fame grew after his death, and the stories about him morphed into folklore. Born in 280, in what is now modern-day Turkey, the saint reportedly lost his parents at an early age and spent his inheritance helping others. 
Even though the honoring of saints began to die away in the 1500s, he remained a prominent figure in Holland. The Dutch celebrate St. Nicholas on December 6th, an essential date to the Krampus mythology. Krampus's name comes from a German word that actually means claw and is connected with the son of hell in Norse mythology. The legend of Krampus is connected with centuries-old traditions in Germany. According to the legend, Krampus would show up on December 5th late at night. Children would then look in their shoe, which they had left out, the next morning on December 6th to see if they received a present or a rod of coal, one from St. Nicholas and the other from Krampus. More after this brief promo. Ghost stories are always scarier when they're told by the very people who experienced them. Hi, I'm Becky. And I'm Diana. And we're the hosts of the Homespun Hates podcast. We talk to people just like you who have come face to face with ghosts, demons, hates, and other strange paranormal phenomena. All of it makes for a chilling good time. So grab yourself a sweet tea, turn off the lights, and listen to some eerie true ghost stories on Homespun Haints, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm not scared, are you? (laughs) (laughs) People in Germany, Austria, Hungary, Slovenia, and the Czech Republic have festivals where men dress up as Krampus and take to the streets, chasing children and adults. The sound of cowbells ring as the devilish fiends run after giggling people. As Stephen King has said, there's a fine line between horror and comedy. The parade comes from an old pagan tradition of scaring away winter ghosts. The festival parade has even spread to the United States. There are many throughout the country, maybe even one near you. In the past, religious forces forbade celebrations like this, and Krampus really lost its favor after World War II. But the attitude about Krampus has been changing over the past few years. An article in the National Geographic says that's partly because of the bah humbug attitude in pop culture. There are a slew of people looking to celebrate the Yuletide season in more non-traditional ways. This terrifying piece of folklore has become commercialized over the years, with Krampus movies and television shows and comic books, a Krampus run and figurines and candies and collectible horns, they're all playing a part in the commercialization of this demonic piece of folklore. We all innately recognize the correlation between good and evil. Folklore and life tell us where there's one, there's always the other. Joseph Campbell says it best, quote, Every act has both good and evil results. Every act in life yields pairs of opposites in its results. As a scholar of folklore and mythology, Campbell recognized the dull sides of humanity and the characters we create. Without evil, there'd be no good. So in essence, Krampus's existence is necessary to highlight the good in St. Nicholas. Campbell went on to say, quote, The best we can do is lean toward the light, toward the harmonious relationships that come from compassion with suffering, from understanding the other person. It's the grotesque of evil and demons like Krampus that push us toward the light. My opinions about the monster have shifted since writing and studying folklore. 
I believe that the recognition and understanding of monsters is essential to appreciating providence and all that is good. Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with music by Kevin McLeod and Epidemic Sound. Be sure to say hello on social media or email me, vanessa at fablecollective.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>